Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. Now, in this episode, I am talking the very, very basics of distilling with the author of How to Distill, Aaron Hyde of Bevy, makers of the new Airstill Pro countertop still. We get into what you can make with the still, including distilled water, essential oils, hop oils, and yes, alcohol, where legal. Hello, New Zealand. But first, a message from our sponsors. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch two-in-one distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. doing what I would consider a bit of a throwback talk um, in regards to traditional and modern tex- techniques for cask conditioning. Um, so, yeah, so going back to casks. Uh, that would be fun to talk about, too, on the brew files, because... Uh, oh, I, yeah, definitely. I, I like cask beer. Same. To me, the problem has always been how to do it in such a way that I'm not uh, being dumb. And I don't need a lot of extra gear. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm fairly certain somewhere in the closet of brew gear, I have a cask breather. Nice. Yeah, if you've got a ventilator and um, and a, and something you can put it on, and I mean, really, the easiest way to set it up is just making sure you've got that beer engine. You can technically tap a corny from a beer engine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could have a cask mild or a cask bitter, oh, you know, on, on on hand pump all the time. I'd be, oh, a, man. I'd be a perfectly happy critter. Yeah. Uh, second that. If I could have a, a nice dark mild with a good multi-character on tap off of a beer engine all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be leaning into that every day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> I can't really yep. do that with a 7% IPA. 
it's nice to have those 3% beers once in a while. And to be honest, cask has got to be one of the best ways to enjoy them. I agree. But of course, we're not here to talk about cask. Nope. We're, <laughs> we're here to talk about something that's kind of the exact opposite of sort of mild strength drinking beer, drinking for drinking's sake. Aaron, go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. Aaron Hyde here. Aaron, you are the author of? How to Distill. Cool figure. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about because you also work. What is your title at Bevy? My title at Bevy officially is Portfolio and Strategy General Manager, which (laughs) is a fancy way of saying I work across our uh, product development and help make decisions about our product portfolio um, globally and across our brands, which includes Grandfather and Still Spirits. Give people your background on brewing so they they know your bona fides. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I've been brewing for over 20 years. I, I might be able to say over 25 years now if I do the math in my head real quick. Started with my dad and opened a homebrew shop in 2008 in New Orleans. Brewstock, still running. If you're down that way, check it out. And after five years, uh, moved on to become the director of homebrewing at Brees Malt. Did that for another five or so years and then moved over to Bevy, uh, which is part of the BSG RAR family and started in sales there and um, moved over to product development and management and portfolio management and that sort of thing uh, maybe about 18 months ago. So I've uh, been really enjoying that and really getting across all the distilling and brewing equipment that uh, Bevy puts out into the world. All right. Well, and so I think the very first thing that we should do, because I know people are going to ask about this, we need to establish the guidelines here. You know, we are talking about distillation. Distillation, as far as I know, the only place you can legally do it at home is there in New Zealand, right? Yeah, you're correct. The laws are written as such that you can distill at home legally here. There are maybe a few other countries where this is very gray area, i.e. they don't say it's illegal or uh legal. Um, but most places do actually put on the books, hey, you can't distill at home. And that's true in the uh, US and other places. Right. And, and very importantly, when we say that, we mean you're not allowed to distill ethanol for consumption at home. Yes, correct. Actually, most places you can get a license to distill ethanol for, say, fuel use and that sort of thing, including the US. So owning a still isn't uh, illegal in and of itself in most countries including the U.S. Um, it's actually what you're making and what you do with that. If you're going to consume it or sell it, of course, um, that's illegal. And of course, with the the usual caveat of um, where they really start to come after you is if you're doing what you just said there, selling it. Yeah, yeah that's actually what usually uh, rings the alarm bells for uh, uh, most countries is when you start um, taking their tax money and possibly putting something out on the market that's... Um, um, hazardous potentially you know they there's no regulation of course if you're selling it illegal so um yeah that'll that'll raise some uh red flags and alarm bells uh if you're caught so yeah just- which is true of homebrewing too i mean I've, I've known some people out there who have tried to sell their homebrew or pass themselves off as commercial breweries and that's when people actually start to pay attention to you Yep, exactly. I mean, that's um, something you want to avoid with alcohol in general. Um, it's not uh, it's not something that um, governments take lightly in terms of the sale of 
And so just to put that out there, the blanket statement here in here in the U.S. where I'm talking and Aaron's down in New Zealand, laws are different because, hey, different countries. But here in the U.S., you are not allowed to distill alcohol for consumption, but you can for fuel alcohol, I think, with a license. And obviously, you can also do distillation for doing distilled water and everybody's favorite topic as well, essential oils. Yep, exactly. (laughs) You see that on every single boxer description of a still these days, um, just to cover bases. Let's actually talk distillation because distillation is, even though we always think about distillation, or I would assume the average consumer always thinks about distillation in terms of whiskey, rum, gin, vodka, distillation as a chemical process is something far broader. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, distillation gets used across a lot of industries where Uh, If you hear the word refining or refinement, um, that's typically a distillation process. So you've got perfumeries, oil companies, um, you know, if, if it's, uh, if it's something where you need to separate the molecules in a liquid substance, it's probably happening through distillation. Yeah. And and it's funny to think like distillation appears at least from the stuff I've been reading recently to be one of those things that was discovered, lost, discovered, lost again, and then finally with, I think, the uh, Arabic uh, scientists or natural philosophers, however you want to build them, finally mm. becomes a thing you know, because of alchemy. Yeah, and that's yeah. Built, like around a thousand or so is when discussion. Yeah, probably. Uh, somebody out there can correct me, uh, correct my dates, but that seems to be the journal <laughs> thing. I know that I know there's some archaeological evidence being bantered around saying that, oh, you can see these things from like ancient Egypt that point towards distillation being a thing. But again, one of those things that's been lost and found again and again, and to the point that you just made, distillation is a very, very vital element of modern life. If your car runs on gasoline. That's a product of distillation. Yeah, exactly. And it is interesting, the history of distillation, because with a lot of science, um, we just didn't understand exactly what was going on inside that still. And those guys thousands of years ago definitely didn't. They oftentimes were trying to get gold separated out of a, a, you know, a rock or something <laughs> like that. And so they tried everything. And of course, they stumbled upon a few uh, uses for it, oftentimes as perfumes and essences, and then finally as alcohol. And, um, you know, I think for a very long time, you're getting alcohol out of a still and you don't exactly know how or why. You just understand that what you're doing is strengthening potentially um, the alcohol, alcoholic beer or wine that you had made. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I guess you could probably say a few centuries ago, we actually started cracking what was going on there. I mean, there were probably distilleries in Scotland making whiskey before they understood truly what the scientific process was. Well, and do I remember my history correctly that at least, at least according to the stories, we can generally blame distilled beverages like distilled alcohol as a commercial venture on the Dutch yeah, they and they <laughs> they actually were the ones that started to make it taste good as well. And they found that they could make it taste good by pretty much steeping or macerating um, some sort of, sort of herb, botanical, or fruit in it. Because the stills they were using weren't super complex, and they weren't getting great alcohol out of them. But the one thing the Dutch did do was give us Jennifer, which is one of the earliest gins. And um, they just threw a ton of juniper in there. 
and said, Hey, this tastes better than it did before. Let's keep doing this. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> they've, we've got a lot, we've got a lot for, to, to, to thank for the Dutch to, uh, start making our alcohol taste good. Yeah. Well, and even like, uh, the idea of brandy, right. You know, burned wine in Dutch. Oh, yes. As a way of like what concentrating and transporting alcohol and reconstituting it on the other side until somebody tasted it and went, Hey, you know, this actually carries a nice kick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> but, but again, yeah. that's also one of those very convenient stories that, you know, when you hear it, you kind of go, well, you know, that's a good tale. Is it true though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, distillation has got so much myth and legend around it. It's uh, sometimes hard to unpick that. Now let's talk a little bit about the stills. Cause you said, okay, look, you know, the stuff that was being used back in the day were very simple stills, like not very uh, complex stills. These days, what I think most stills fall into kind of like one of two categories, right? With like two main types. Yeah, you're really talking about a pot still or a reflux still. Some people just refer to a reflux still as a column still. And um, the pot still is more like the old Alembics, and I mean, are still referred to as Alembics, um, where it's a really basic pot boiler and an arm that comes off the top and then a condenser. Whereas a column typically creates a bit more reflux in the still. A pot still does create reflux, but that reflux is what sort of um, purifies the alcohol a bit more and gives you more ethanol coming out of your still at a time. So the proof or the ABV of the alcohol is actually quite uh, a lot higher on a column or reflux mm-hmm. still. Yeah, the, the way, I mean, so the way I always kind of think of it is like a pot still is, if you think about moonshiners, they're mm-hmm. more like, they're, what they're using is more like a pot still. Yeah. Cause they're definitely. relatively simple to make. Exactly. I always think of a pot still in association with all your sort of brown spirits, you know, your, your rums, your, your whiskeys, your uh, scotches, that sort of thing. Yep. Yep. I think of a pot still as being something where you're going to want some flavor left in it. Um, and that's why you're not refluxing quite as much. So it'll be those brown spirits you're aging for flavor. Right. Yeah. And then a t- uh, then the tower still a reflux still, that's more uh, you know that's where I typically think oh that's your vodka your your Everclear your gin, <laughs> yep yeah definitely exactly the column still is really there to create a very neutral spirit and um, and that's typically going to be vodka or something that you want to flavor in some way shape or form yeah right. well and the pot still the pot still carries more flavor because it's really just a single distillation step and you may like throw the wash back into the still and and run it again you know to kind of clarify, clarify it or or improve it but a reflux or a column still effectively because of the design it's it's doing that multiple distillation step as you're going in one go right yeah that's oftentimes the easiest way to think about it is if you picture an alembic still, which is just a, or a, a pot still, it's just a, a kettle with an arm and vapor is rising up through the boiler and it's collecting on the top of that boiler and then just falling back into the boiler. And a lot of the vapor is just making it out of the pot still. What a column does through just being more vertical and a smaller pipe coming off of your um, boiler, oftentimes with plates or packed with some, uh, Packed with some sort of um, ceramic or uh, like even stainless scrubby, something that makes it harder for the vapor to come up through that column creates additional reflux. And so that vapor continues to fall back and 
go up. And so what it does is lots of little mini multiple distillations in that column so that only the lightest vapor that escapes through all that material in your column and makes it up the height of the column um, is allowed to come through. So it actually separates more ethanol, which um, is easier to, uh, has a lower boiling point, um, comes off first. So it'll come off clean as ethanol. And, um, and that's why you get sort of multiple distillations and cleaner, higher ABV alcohol coming off a column. There you go. And, and none of those nasty cogeners, cogeners, Congeners, Congeners. I hear it. Fusel alcohols is what the old name for it is. Some people still use that for specific alcohols coming off. But yeah, the congeners, which it's we 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 consider them bad uh, alcohols and bad flavors and bad molecules. (laughs) But maybe we want to think about them as very very flavorful molecules. Sometimes they taste a little nasty, um, but oftentimes uh, wood or oak um, helps really. Uh, settle those flavors out and and actually sort of biologically changes them in some instances. Before we get into the into the air still and the air still pro, um, yeah. I and mean, we should make a point here that I mean, like making a still now that we know the technology, like making a pot still for instance is fairly straightforward. And you know, if you did a, a couple minutes research online, you'll find ways to do it. But one thing I would like to advise to people is if you're going to try anything with the distillation of alcohol, be very careful about anything that requires an open flame. Yeah, it's a good call. If your still starts to leak vapor at all, that ethanol is highly flammable. Um, so just something to keep in mind. And um, it's not hard, uh, not hard to potentially combust some of that ethanol while you're distilling. So open flame, definitely be careful. I know there are people out there who sell kits for, here, take a Sankey keg and put a tower on it. And next thing you know, you got a still. And then you'll see people heating that with a propane burner, just like what we use for home brewing. And that can be a very bad combination. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, uh, I, I will have to admit that I have done <laughs> some Sankey keg distillations, but you have to be sitting there monitoring your still at all times and you have to be monitoring your flame at all times. Do not go into this thinking it's a set and forget scenario, especially with an open flame. But now things like the Air Still Pro and there are other, uh, other units out there as well. The nice thing with the electric heating is that you have far less chance of going kaboosh, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And the amount of control that you have with electric these days is just amazing. A lot of stills that are electric use voltage control or they just have an element that really just ramps up your distillation quite slowly, which is exactly what you want to have some control over the distillation process. So, yeah, yeah. Something like the air still has an element um, that's, you know, naughty. It's not an exposed element or anything like that. So you're not going to have any real issues having to worry about something setting on fire because your heat source was exposed. So, yeah. Just make sure all your electrical connections are secure and not sparking. Very true. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, if if your if your electric in your shed is uh, questionable or something like that, you got, you got to be careful. <laughs> well, now let's talk the Air Still Pro because BSG sent me one of these to play with, uh, nice. and it's really, I mean, it's a really cool little kit. I mean, it's a countertop still. I mean, it looks. Yeah. I mean, if you if I didn't tell people what it was, it looks like a cross between a coffee pot and a popcorn popper. 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it looks like something that's definitely at home on your uh, countertop, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be allowed to be on my counter, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a great device. So, a lot of folks out there might be familiar with the Air Still, which is just a little 4-liter 1-gallon, you know, tabletop pot still really. And with the Air Still Pro, what we did is we decided to add reflux to our little air still pot still. And so there's a column built on the side, which makes it start to look a little futuristic actually, and kind of cool. And all we've done is really build an offset column to a pot still. And and that allows you really to run one gallon and get high proof alcohol out of a reflux column or um, a little lower proof alcohol with some of those congeners that we were talking about in there for whiskey or rum. So really this is an all in one still, you can make whatever sort of spirit you want with this. That's very cool. I mean, and, and again, I'm, I'm really not kidding. It, it does look like a sort of futuristic popcorn popper and it's about that size. It's not, not a very large uh, gizmo. The, with the air still, um, and can I take anything that that I've produced and throw it in there and make you know get an ethanol distillation out of it? If I have bad beer, can I can I throw bad beer in the mix? Yeah, bad beer is exactly how I got started in distillation. I think it's probably how a few people get started in distillation. Unfortunately, I have a, a few members of the club, some of the older members of the club, who they will they will go around, they will find people who have bad beer and go, I can turn that into something else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the beauty of a still. It is really a purification process. Everything else about the process, uh, there. okay, so there's a few different things about distillation and creating spirits that differ from home brewing, but everything up to the distillation process is very similar to either winemaking or brewing. You're fermenting those sugars and you're getting alcohol. And so a bad beer can easily be distilled. Your, um, you know, your results may vary depending on the beer. If there are a ton of hops in there, there's going to be a ton of hop oil and that hop oil is going to want to come out during your run. And if you're making cuts, i.e. really just collecting into small vessels as you go, maybe, you know, eight ounces at a time, hundred mils at a time, and you've got some jars you might actually be able to find the cut or the part of the run that all that hop oil came out into. But any alcohol you've created, good, bad, or otherwise, can be distilled, which is kind of the beautiful thing about distillation. Waste not one. Yep, exactly. And I've run, you know, I've run wine kits through, I've run beer kits through. You can use malt extract, grapes, whatever fruit you have. There is really no limitation as long as there's some ethanol alcohol in there to collect. I think obviously the stronger the what in distillation terms it's a wash, right? Yep. Uh so the stronger the alcohol content in the wash, the more efficient you're going to be in terms of your output, right? Cuz you'd said hey, the air still pro holds would you say a gallon? Yeah, it holds a gallon. Yep. So if you had a gallon in there and you had a gallon of 5% beer as opposed to like a gallon of something at like 20%, you're going to end up with far more alcohol out of this out of that second version than you know out of the first one, right? Yeah, it's actually a really good point. I think it's one of those things where 
for a lot of folks, the light bulb comes on once, if you have something like the Airstill Pro and you put a bad beer in there and it's 4% alcohol, you got to remember what you're doing is con- taking that alcohol out and recondensing it. And so if you only have 4% alcohol in there, you only have a small amount of alcohol to gain out of your still. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, I just got 100 mils out of this run of uh, a gallon. Boy, that's not a lot, but it's going to be nice, high quality ethanol. And if you run that still and you run your entire five gallon batch through, you know, you're going to get a, a 500, 500 mils of a nice high proof alcohol that you can cut down and maybe make a couple 500 mil bottles out of. Whereas if you started with 16% alcohol or something like that, more, tr- more what a distiller would start with a wash that's 12 to 18%, um, you're going to collect triple the amount of alcohol, right. quadruple the amount of alcohol on a run. And so um, it really does depend on how much alcohol you're putting into that boiler. Yeah, no matter what, you're not going to generate whatever your target compound is out of thin air. Mm. It has to be in solution first. Correct. Yep, exactly. So, you know, you're not going to, yeah, create additional alcohol <laughs> just because um, you're condensing it down or anything like that. Yep. So, Let's walk through like uh, doing your sort of first baby distillations, and we'll talk about the ones that are 100% legal in this world. And actually, the very first one I want to talk to you about is kind of important right now because there's been sort of varying availability of it. I mean, there's absolutely nothing in this world that says you can't use a still like this to make distilled water, right? Correct. I mean, the thing to remember is that owning a still in the U.S., I can't speak for every single country, is not illegal. You can own a still. (laughs) Your retailer can sell you a still. That's fine. Um, the, how you use that still is what it is really the basis for the law. Distilling water, all good. And actually with that still that you have there, Drew, the Air Still Pro, it actually has a couple settings, one for reflux mode, one for pot still mode. And in the case of the Air Still Pro, you would run it in pot still mode because that mode won't turn off the still automatically. Mm -hmm. What you need to be able to do is run your still to a pretty high heat because the we all know the boiling point of water is 212 or 100 C, and that's actually higher than alcohol. So a lot of stills that are electric need to run a little stronger and a little longer to distill water. The beauty is most stills can distill water, and it just takes a little additional time. I've distilled water with uh, numerous stills, and the one thing you probably want to do is is set it up early in the morning and just let it run and check on it. The nice thing about distilling water is you probably don't actually need to baby your still and be there all the time because you don't have, you know, things that are going to go boom. Um, so, um, so you can just sort of set a jug out and start collecting your water. Uh, just be ready for your still to take a little additional time to heat up to get that uh, distilled water out. Yeah, see, that's actually something I'm, I'm kind of intrigued about because, you know, sometimes you have, sometimes you have things around the house that need distilled water. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a there's a lot of good uses for distilled water. Um, I actually use a little distilled water when I'm brewing to cut my water back sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's uh, there's probably more practical <laughs> reasons to have distilled water around as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but now let's talk. We we joked around a little bit about essential oils, but if I wanted to go, let's say I have a lavender bush. And I want to go make lavender essential oil. How do I do that? So there's a couple ways to do it. Um, With the Airstill Pro, you're going to unpack the column and 
jam pack it with lavender. The other thing you're probably going to want to do is fill your boiler halfway with water. And then if you've got some sort of, um, I would say rack or bag or some way to actually put some lavender in the boiler above the liquid, mm-hmm. you could do that as well. Um, so that that initial vapor, the vapor gets infused with the lavender right out of the boiler as well. What you can also create quite easily with a small still is hydrosols, um, which are when the water is still attached to the oil. And um, that's easy enough to do by just stuffing your boiler full of lavender. Um, once you put a botanical down in the water, it's really hard to get the water not to cling to the oil itself. So you do need to pretty much vaporize the oil. Um in some instances, you might be using alcohol to do that, but in most instances, with most botanicals, you can actually use water. The thing that will be disappointing for most people if they're using a small still is that it takes a lot of lavender to collect a few mils of essential oil. Oh, there's a reason why essential oils are not cheap. Yep. Yeah, that's because of just the amount of material it takes. Let's make it a little more practical for most of the audience here that's going to be listening to this. I could also make hop oil, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the nice thing about those really high alpha hops is that's a measurement of hop oil in there. And there's other measurements, of course, other oils. And hops in general are being bred for that oil content. So following some of the same instructions we just talked about, you can be taking your own hop oils for sure. Yeah. Again, that would not be for Well, I guess my guess would be that would not be hop oils for bitterness as much as that would be uh, all the aroma uh, aroma compound type hop oils, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not going to get a lot of the heavier hop oils out of a unit. It would be hard, um, but you you're going to get a lot of those aromatic compounds, the lighter oil, uh, the lighter aromas, and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. And and again, to your point about hydrosols, I mean, there are some people who've been playing around with hydrosols for hops. But yeah, I mean, if I can make, if I can make the world's most screaming mosaic galaxy citra hop oil, mm. then uh, you know I can make anything into a modern IPA. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you're we're starting to see more of those essential hop oils show up on the homebrew market for mm-hmm. sure. I think you see them in syringes and other things now. Can you create your own? Oh yeah, definitely. And it's actually not a bad idea for those folks growing their own hops. You know, if you've got fresh hops and you can't use them all at once. Uh, consider consider distil- distilling them down. The only additional piece of equipment you will need is an essential oil separator, which is a cool glass piece that you can have sitting out on your counter anyway. Um, and it's just a just a long uh, you know cone that allows you to really collect the oil that will settle on the top of um, your distillate. Uh, quite easily. So, yeah. And again, you're doing that, you're starting that with water. Could you, could you also do that with alcohol? Is there any advantage to it? You can. Um, there's been a, there's a lot of science behind what botanicals you should use with ethanol mm-hmm. and which ones you should use with water. But for the most part, water is really all you need. We had talked offline before, but uh, just make sure before you run something else through it, clean, clean out the, the, the still so you don't end up with something that tastes like lavender. Yeah, totally. Unless you're looking for a little bit of that lavender in your next whiskey, you might want to run a little bit of ethanol through or some cleaner or sanitizer for sure. I hear the Jim Beam company going, wait, what was that? Um. (laughs) Yeah, you never know. You never know. You might discover the next next big trend in whiskey. I don't think lavender whiskey will take off in the same way like Fireball. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> you had said earlier, for the most part, preparing alcohol for for dis- distillation, preparing this wash is no different than making uh, wine or or beer. Uh, I'm going to assume one because we're not we're not going to be drinking necessarily the the, the rest of the product. The reason why you can say more like wine is we we can kind of be a little bit more loose, right? It's not the mm. it's not the same you know level of sort of very strict control that's necessary for making a beer that you're going to drink. Yeah, definitely. So you know, in the um, Scotch distilling industry, they still refer to the wash as a beer. Um, they're making a beer without hops. Really, that's what they're doing. They're using a base malt. They're going to eight to twelve percent, and they're fermenting typically you know, without any sort of fermentation control. And they're using yeast that's, you know, super active, super high flocculation, high ABV tolerance, uh, high alcohol tolerance, and um, and typically just trying to run through that fermentation as fast as possible, happy to create a bit of off flavor, I guess you could say, because that'll end up becoming flavor in the barrel. And the same can be said with wine. A lot of the brandy distillers and a lot of the um, folks out there are just using a high alcohol tolerant yeast. Um, and they're typically fermenting at room temperature, sometimes even in open vats. Um, that's very popular, of course, in Jamaica with rum. Um, a lot of folks that are you know, rum experts will know that, you know, dunder pits are really just open fermenters that are dug in as holes in the ground, you know? So they just, they're trying to collect all the things in the air that could ferment their molasses down. Well, I mean, to me, it's funny because you'll hear people talk about like Jamaican rums and the funk. Yep. Is that more of an aging characteristic than necessarily fermentation characteristic? It's, it's a little bit of both actually. Yeah. You get, you get that funk from a lot of different things in that process. They're not using, um, very technical stills. They're using, um, yeah, they're using open fermentation. They're rerunning some of their alcohol through their still. Uh, pretty much that entire process just adds to the complexity of those uh, those rums for sure. And again, to your point, you want to you want to make a mash with corn. Congratulations, that's what a lot of bourbon producers. Well, actually, that's what bourbon producers have to do. Yep, corn, rye, barley, just plain sugar. I think the kit that comes with the Aristotle Pro or the Essentials kit that's kind of an add-on, I think. Yeah, it comes with a bunch of corn sugar or dextrose. (laughs) Yep, exactly. I mean, you'd be surprised how much commercial vodka and gin you're drinking that is literally just dextrose or sucrose, one of the two, as the base. Well, I think a lot of people would be be shocked to realize how much of the spirits they're drinking all come out of, uh, where is it, Indiana? Yeah, sure. that's true. <laughs> yep, yep. Largest distiller in the country. <laughs> yep. Including uh, a lot of your bourbon people. Yep. I just go and I, I, I ferment. I make a, I make a beer or wine or a sugar wash that comes in. I think you said around 12 to 18% is kind of a nominal target, right? Yep. By the way, also don't use the, any of the, the yeast that you're referring to before. Uh, my homebrew shop sells one that's like turbo yeast. Uh, yeah uh, oddly enough bought by a lot of uh, old uh, cranky men from eastern europe <laughs> yeah i've had beers made with that uh, that yeast and i don't recommend it for beer making yeah that's a great suggestion so turbo yeast definitely has a place it's definitely not to make beer so <laughs> the challenge with sucrose or dextrose is there's no nutritional content for the yeast in 
sugar. There is a lot of nutritional content for yeast in malt um, so and in grain. And so for the most part, a beer is going to ferment quite well without nutrients. Now, if you're trying to take it to 16, 18%, maybe you want a little bit. You don't need as much as what's in a turbo, but turbo is just one of those, um, you know, it's probably, it probably would have had such less of a negative connotation if it wasn't called turbo, but it's really just a yeast and nutrient package to, to ferment high ABV with sugars that don't have a lot of nutrient content. Yeah. Well, and that's the reason why I think if you're making something, yeah, if you're making any sort of wash that isn't malt based, you're really kind of more in that world of cider making, wine making, mead making. Mm. Yep. Yep. Definitely. If honey weren't so expensive, distilled meat would be fun. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, honey is way too expensive for me to go messing around with that. <laughs> I know a lot of people do ask, why aren't there folks making a distilled beverage from honey and selling it commercially? And it has <laughs> it has everything to do with the commercials of um, of trying to make that affordable on the shelf. For yeah, sure, I, I've seen some products out there that are honey flavored spirits. Yep. But I don't yeah. think I've ever seen one that says we started with honey and, and made it. Like I think uh, Bar Hill, Bar Hill actually makes a really nice gin that's honey infused. Oh yeah, totally. And you'll see honey honey bourbons out there these days and that sort of thing. Honey is a great flavor and spirit, but for you to actually ferment down honey and distill it just seems it seems a little bit like nonsense <laughs> because you're stripping out all the the beautiful flavor of the honey. Yeah. You might leave a little bit in there, but um, between the fermentation and the distillation, your honey might as well have been dextrose. <laughs> but I mean, that is a good point. There's nothing that says, hey, once you've distilled, you can't go and infuse back, whether it's something like hop oil or honey or other flavors. I mean, you can, you can mm. take all that. I mean, gin effectively is infused vodka. Yeah. Exactly. And there are the, the, the most common ways to really get flavor in are a maceration before you distill, and you will lose some of those flavors, uh, a vapor infusion, which is traditional for gin. So those botanicals in a basket in your still, and you'll see in your Aerostill Pro, I believe it comes with a basket that fits on top. Nice little guy. And, um, and then either steeping afterwards. So just steeping and then you strain off whatever. Lots of ways to add flavor to spirit for sure. Yep. Now let's actually get into the operating the, the wash and or operating the distillation. And we'll take the, the air still as an example, right? So I got this, I got this gizmo up on my counter. I plug it in. What do I do? Yeah, so Airstow Pro comes pretty ready right out of the box. You'll have a gin basket that you'll either have to decide to use or not, and you'd remove that. And um, the nice thing about the Airstow Pro is that it pretty much can be run as sort of an automatic still in reflux mode. So the still itself actually has a four shots collection vessel that has a little sort of like floaty ball type system inside of it that'll collect the first 30 mils of your four shots. And you can just pull that jar out if you decide, actually, I don't need to collect my four shots or I want more manual control over that. The only other really option that you have there is the distilling tip. So there's two distilling tips on the Airstill Pro. One is for reflux mode. One is for pot still mode. The pot still mode tip is just bored out a little wider. So the drips come faster. It's easier for the still to condense and get rid of that liquid faster. And the reflux 
manages to take some of that vapor and put it back in and through the column in the still. So it allows you a much higher ABV if you use the reflux tip. You've got that on your tabletop. You probably have seen that there's a plug sort of on the side of the column that goes into the boiler and another plug that goes into your outlet because you do need to power the fan at the top, which is your how you condense your spirit with this still. That was actually going to be something I was going to ask you about because one of the things I thought was cool about this is I'm used to thinking like with a still, and maybe it's because of my time in science labs, you know, you're running water back, you know, like a, a, across a condensing coil in order, to, in order to really rapidly chill. But in this particular case, it's all being chilled down via fan. Yeah, exactly. So this is where things get just a little different than a traditional still. A traditional still is exactly what you do is you're creating this vapor. Really, you're separating alcohol from water for the most part, and you're recondensing it in an arm using cold water. So you want to turn that vapor and steam back into something liquid that you can actually collect. Traditionally done by water. The nice thing about a small still is you don't need that much energy, i.e. that really cold water running a across your condenser coil. All you need is a fan and um, and a coil inside that lid being cooled down as that vapor rises. Um, so you can essentially use air to cool, which is really cool from an environmental standpoint and really a, a, what I would say a still management point. You don't have to be managing how much cold water you're using. You don't need to be using an excessive amount of water, which a lot of stills will use. Um, it makes this still really capable of sort of managing the con- condensing on its own. To me, makes this a lot easier and cleaner and less fuss and less muss. Mm-hmm. Running water has a bad tendency to go everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the thing, the thing that some people who are new to distilling don't realize is you, you have different temperature waters, different times of the year. And if you were down in LA like you are, or New Orleans like I was, actually sometimes when you've got warmer water coming out of your main pipe, and that's what you're using to cool your still, it can actually be a bit of a challenge to keep the still dialed in, um, where the drip is consistent coming out of that still. The nice thing about this fan is it's pretty much been designed to allow you a very consistent drip coming out of this still. The other thing I always think about with distillation is people are always like, well, you know, the real problem, the reason why the government's banned the production of alcohol and you know, moonshine and all that is because it'll make you go blind. <laughs> yeah, if you drink too much methanol, it, your body converts it to formaldehyde and formaldehyde inside your body is not a good thing. Yeah. And so you always hear people talk about heads and tails with, with distillation and, oh, you got to get rid of this because that's the part that has the methanol in it and whatnot. Do I, am I worrying about this here? Is that being, is that part of that four shot collection that you were talking about or how, how am I not having to worry about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a healthy concern um, because methanol is really bad and there is methanol typically in a wash. Now, without going into too much detail, the amount of methanol in a wash can vary greatly depending on the quality of the fermentation, but also what you're actually fermenting. So dextrose and sucrose actually create very little methanol at the same time. If there's any methanol in there, we want to get rid of it. So that four shots collection uh, actually allows us to take that first 30 mils off, which is typically methyl alcohol or methanol, because it it has a boiling point and vaporizes about six to eight degrees Fahrenheit before 
ethanol. And so we know it typically comes out of the still first. Now, a lot of folks will tell you, well, you have to worry about methanol through your entire run. If you have a still that heats up way too fast, that's true. Because then the methanol just, it, it adheres to ethanol, it adheres to water, and it comes through your entire run. Right. It's just, it's just flashing through, right? <laughs> it's flashing through, exactly. And so it'll come through your entire run, just like everything else will come through, and you'll have a really nasty distillation, which is why everyone kind of adheres to the rule of low and slow um, in terms of distillation, because it gives you that visibility of what's coming through the still. It's very clean. Your cuts come through at very specific times. You know methanol's coming off, and then you know a bit of acetone, paint thinnery smells start coming through. And then you'll get to ethanol, and then you'll get to things like, you know, ethanol mixed with water and some of those congeners that are heavier coming through as your boiler continues to heat up. So yeah, good to worry about methanol, especially if you're doing something like apples. Apples have a lot of methanol in them already, and what you're doing is you're condensing that down. So um, worth considering for something like an apple brandy uh, specifically. And, And to be completely, you know, straightforward, even if someone's just doing a dextrose run and they had a very clean fermentation, and I know there isn't going to be much methanol, I'm still going to tell them to collect their four shots because methanol is quite dangerous. And now that you said that about apples, that explains a lot of the stories about Applejack back in the colonial Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And they're, you know, they were using sometimes freeze distillation and they were freeze distillation over and over again. And then you're collecting more and condensing more and more methyl. Um, The only other thing that, um, you know, was a concern back in the day was old stills. And this is just for those folks that are maybe looking at stills on eBay and thinking, I want to do it the traditional way with an old still. Sometimes they used lead solder. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind as well. So um, it's great. These modern stills are really good. And any modern still is probably going to be better than an old still you get off of. And look, controls are nice and safety is nice. and you know. mm, It is. <laughs> Anything else we got to think about in terms of distillation, either with the air still, the air still pro or, or more traditional techniques, anything else that, that people really need to focus in on when they're, if they're thinking about doing a distillation to produce, to pull out alcohol? Yeah, I think the one thing you want to consider is one thing with your wash and your process is something like the Airstill Pro has a reflux mode that'll pull upwards of 90% ABV. You just double that number pretty much to get proof. So 180 proof, very high alcohol. Um, if that's what you're after, do a nice, strong wash in that 16 to 18% range, you'll get a bit more out. You get 400 to 500 mils out of a a run of very high ABV and you can infuse that or use that however you want. If you're doing a pot still, do a little bit of research if you want to do a single run on your pot still, if you want to do a second run. So if you want to do a, what's called a stripping run and then say a spirit run, because there's a few different ways to use this still. You can either use it, you know, once or you can do two runs, multiple runs on it, that sort of thing. And that's true of, of most stills. And it really just depends. So there's a bit of research you want to do in terms of how you use your still, but there's also a lot of easy ways to use a still as well. Actually, that's a, a question that I have is I know that a lot of times people are targeting that you said the 12 to 18% because they want to be able to collect more ethanol out the, the, finished product. Is there any advantage to using a lower ABV wash? So 
tradition of some whiskeys dictates that we're going to make a wash to something like 8%. Um, the only real benefit of that is what I would consider volume and management of, of what you're doing. So if you're going to make, say, an 8 per, or if you're going to try to make, say, an, a 16% wash uh, for bourbon, um, that mash gets really big. <laughs> and, and actually, a lot of the challenges that come with that higher ABV um, are completely uh, you know, set aside and mitigated. So one challenge with higher ABV is mash size. And then it's the amount of yeast and nutrient and sometimes time it takes. Um, and then also, uh, 8% ABV will oftentimes be a shorter run on a still than say 16%. It kind of depends on the still a little bit. So there's a few, I would say minor benefits. Um, but a lot of times it was just that's kind of what how distill uh that's how distillers really set up their mash kettle and their boil kettle to manage and that sort of thing. So is there a huge advantage? Don't know. But I mean I use a grainfather, an electric brewing system for my mashing, and if I'm doing a lot of flaked corn, trying to hit sixteen percent ABV is sort of a non starter for me. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's why you have sugar, right? Exactly. <laughs> but but again, it seems like even in the world of di- distillation, a lot of this stuff is still done on the basis of tradition. That's the way we've always done it. And no, I'm not spending money to get a larger kettle. Yes, <laughs> it is. I mean, there is a lot of um, uh, tradition, and I I'm sorry to use the word propaganda, but marketing <laughs> that goes into spirits. Um, the process is not. Um, that is not as mystical and complex as some commercial folks will have you believe at the same time, you know, um, everybody's got their own process. Everybody does it their own way. Some of those distillers firmly believe that an 8% wash will give them a much different flavor than a 12% wash. That's just, just the way the spirits market works. But dude, it's alchemy. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, we're, we're, centuries away from that and still we <laughs> we think of it that way we want to sell it that way this is magical this is mystical it's alchemy it applies in the beer world as well never yeah. never let the facts get in the way of a good romantic story about why we want to get out of our heads exactly exactly um i think of i always think of this ad growing up uh as a kid and then becoming a home brewer and just being like i don't get it um which is when somebody says they're triple hopping a beer, I still don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> I'm fairly certain Miller didn't either. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. So, Aaron, before I let you go, last thoughts? If you're interested and this was um, fascinating to you, give it a try. I mean, you don't have to do what I did and probably a few folks in Drew's homebrew club did and wait for a bad beer to come your way um, before you try distilling. It's not that difficult. There's a lot of cool things you can do with uh, distillation. There's a lot of create creativity that can go into it. There's also a lot of tradition and really cool things you can do with traditional spirits as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's not as hard as it sounds. It's it's not as dangerous as it sounds. 
And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, Drew finds that's true with his uh, little Airstill Pro as well. Yep. All right. And so people can go out if they want to learn more, they can find Aaron's book, How to Distill at All Your Finest Retailers. And also the Airstill Pro is now launched here in the U.S. So you can go and buy it online. I found a couple of places online that have it and looks like retailing for around $570 for the pro kit. If you already have a air still, there's a head unit that you can buy that sort of upgrades it into a pro. It looks like, Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, I'm not kidding. This is like the coolest, most compact little gidget I've ever seen for doing distillation. It makes it seem far more approachable and sane than a bunch of weird copper pipe that always has the police look at me strange and go, son, are you distilling? (laughs) bringing it indoors on your countertop is definitely uh, a plus for sure thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of the brew files we hope that you enjoyed this look at the basics of distillation how to make your own fractional components whatever form they take want to know more check out aaron's book and let us know if you want more coverage now remember if you have show ideas styles brewers techniques ingredients etc you can drop us a line at podcast.experimentalbrew.com you can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com you can find us on twitter at exp brewing on instagram on facebook on reddit and just about every homebrew forum out there and of course you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com and don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Best Friends Save Them All. Now until next time, remember the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. This holiday season, give back to the brewing community when you join the American Homebrewers Association. From November 8th through December 15th, purchase an annual membership and the American Homebrewers Association will make a $5 donation to your choice of Beer for Boobs, Soldiers Angels Hops for Heroes, or the Michael James Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. Learn more about these nonprofits and how to donate directly by visiting homebrewersassociation.org/slash experimental and let's give back together. Yeah.